0: Father, we just thank you again for this opportunity to come to your feet, to lift up clean hands and with a pure heart sing, holy, 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 Yes, Lord God Almighty. Lord, we are so privileged. Yes. As our sister prayed, Lord, we have, we have no idea what the persecution is right now. But Father, we're in your presence. And I pray that as we're in your presence around yes. the world right now, yes, Lord, Lord, that you will breathe in a peace and a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Amen. Amen. Oh, what a Savior. Yes, what a Lord. Savior. Father, just yes. we pray for a fresh anointing on Bernard. Yes. Lord, Lord fresh wisdom with understanding and fresh boldness, Lord. Yes. We need to hear. That's right. We need to be shaken, Lord. We need to That's wake it. up. That's right. So thank you for your grace and favor today, mm-hmm. and bless each and every one that's gathered here yes. at this time for your glory with thanksgiving. Yes, marches. Lord, for your glory. Amen. 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 Over to you, Brother Bernard.
1: Thank Over. you, baby. Thank you for arranging all this. Yes. Um, it's a blessing. I know this is a blessing to many people, just the fellowship together, uh, Chris and Brenda over there in uh, the Far East of England and um, some in Canada and the US and in the Middle East and uh, various parts of Australia, as well as Malaysia and Sarawak. And you know, true hazel prayed that we are all in this great family of god and we have the father's dna in us spiritually speaking and uh the likeness of the father which of course is the son emerges in us as we walk with him and we, we think of those in the middle east the lord's people there that uh the likeness of Jesus will emerge in them. How the devil hates Jesus. Um, what a warfare that we are in. <clears throat> and you appreciate that it's hotting up. You realise that essentially behind all the machinations of government and all the things that are taking place with the uh, economic and the political and have just everything and even the religious. Um, if I just threw this out to you at the beginning, one of the things among many that is grieving my heart is to see the way in some quarters um, the churches and even some of the leaders have been arguing amongst themselves about social justice and about Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and this leader saying this and another leader saying that. And if I may just throw this out to you, that if we understand more deeply and truly the family of God, race and social justice and these sorts of things uh, do not even enter in. They do not even enter in because in the family of God, there is one people. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither rich nor poor there's, there's none of that because where the Spirit of the Lord moves and really is Lord, where He's Lord, He brings us all into that mutual care for one another that has no thought of race and riches. And, and this is one of the great things that we have to learn. And you can see the title. And the burden of my heart today um, is around this theme of the water, the flow, the, the rivers. the And you understand that what happened in type, uh, in the physical, in the Old Testament, with the children of Israel and God's dealings with them, God is one, so the medium that he was moving in in those days, of course, was the medium of the physical. He was moving in releasing them from the Egypt bondage, from the Pharaoh bondage, bringing them through a physical sea that he opened up before them, bringing them through a wilderness, it was a physical wilderness and he was working with them and he brought them to the Jordan River and he opened that up before them and went before them and the medium was physical. Jericho was a real city and uh, because God is one, what he did in Jericho the, and what he did in following on through the leadership of Joshua, all in the physical, in giving them the land, God, who is one, is now not moving in bringing us out of a physical Egypt into a physical promised land. But what is revealed there in the physical medium, in the material medium, is a profound picture of what he does in the spiritual medium so if i threw this out to you and one of these weeks i want to talk about the warfare specifically and the manner of the overthrow of the nations in the, the, that were already in the land of promise what he did in the physical, they had to stand on the necks of the kings. They had to utterly destroy. And uh, Jesus, Joshua, was with them to do it. What God commanded them to do with him in the Old Testament, in the physical, Jesus wants us to join with him in the spiritual medium in the spiritual life, so that there is a mighty destroying of everything that opposes the rule of God in our lives and those we are around. And, you know, so if I can emphasize this, God is one. The medium that he was working in in the Old Testament was the physical material medium but in the new covenant the medium in which he's working uh, although it has a material physical component it is primarily spiritual but god is one so his ways do not change and that's so that's a principle that we must grasp and uh, if you grasp that principle you will not be offended with god and the things that he commanded in the old testament he knew that sin was a cancer and cancer is a live thing and sin is a live thing and though cancer corrupts the body and rots it away it is a living corruption, and sin is a living corruption, and it it, it cannot be allowed even in a, a corner of our lives, if I can put it that way. So I, I'm particularly concerned this, today with this issue of the rod. And you will you will all remember. Of course in the in the old testament there that the waters flowed the deliverance came that's the first thing the red sea opened the victory over amalek it, it that all involved the rod that was in moses hand and the smiting of the rock and the giving force of water involved the rock uh, and the rod. The rod had to smite the rock. And so if you go back into Exodus, so let's concentrate a little on this rod. So if you make your way back, in the book of Exodus to chapter four. And of course, this is to do with the Lord speaking um, to Moses who was to be God's deliverer. And it says in verse one, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? So picture Moses standing there by the burning bush and uh, that was not consumed. Picture his sandals were off his feet. He was standing on holy ground and he himself is now abiding there. Nothing man-made upon his feet to interrupt things, but conscious of his own frailty and his weakness and God's wanting him to go back to bring about deliverance. And he's afraid, what if the people turn away? And there is this rod, which he would have possessed for a long while. And um, in his, it, it was probably his favorite rod. And it's a long stick, five, six feet long at least. And <clears throat> the Lord says to him, cast it on the ground Moses said it's a rod it's a rod cast it on the ground so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and uh, Moses fled from it and then the Lord said to Moses reach out your hand and take it by the tail Take it by the tail and he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. An amazing thing and parabolic, um, parabolic. You know, it's to do with authority, it's to do with power, it's to do with measuring things, if you were to do some studies in the scripture, um, one of the things, of course, with the separating of sheep from goats, you may not have known this, that those old shepherds used, because in their flocks, they had sheep and goats and they would use their rod and they would spread out their rod horizontally. They would hold it horizontally, maybe two foot, six or three foot from the ground. And the sheep tend to bow their heads. And so the shepherd's sheep would bow their heads and go under the rod. Whereas the goats, have their necks stretched out and their heads high and so they did not bow and go under the rod and you know there are many things like that in the scripture so that in one of the prophets it's it, god says that i will bring you under my rod and it's it's important but here you see the first statement about Moses Rod. And it's so reminiscent to me of the perversion that happened in Adam and Eve in the garden on the day when they sinned. And that which was straight became a serpent, you could say, that in their hearts, this man of authority Became a tool of the serpent who had come into the garden, you remember, that had spoken to Eve. And so Adam and his wife had become uh, twisted under the power of the serpent and all the glorious authority which God had bequeathed to him. You know, you shall subdue the earth. You shall fill it. Mm-hmm. This is your calling. This is what it's all about, Adam. You are to multiply and so on. All of that had become twisted like the writhing serpent from which Moses fled. And then the Lord says to him, now pick it up by the tail. And it became the straight and true, and the rod of power. So, if you go on through John, uh, the Exodus chapter four, you will find that Moses. Here it is, verse nineteen. We'll go quickly. The Lord said to Moses in Midian go and return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Now it's no longer Moses' rod only. It's the rod of God it's the rod of God and of course he was commanded if you look back you can find that he was commanded in this chapter that he was to do certain signs with this rod and so if you if you look down this is the you know it's it's very wonderful so it's all to do with authority. It's all to do with lost authority, it's all to do with power, it's all to do uh, with uh, the fact that uh, it's got to be changed, uh, abused, it's a serpent in the hand of God and you remember of course that our Lord Jesus, who's the true man, you, you will remember that he he, he took the rod that was a serpent uh, into his hand and it's all to do with Calvary. Now if you, you flow on a little bit and we just got to sort of concentrate on some of the things that this rod uh, and Moses in and, and his obedience using it, lo and behold, you remember that the sea, he had to put it over the sea, I haven't got time to spend on it all, but in chapter seven, you know, there's a whole section there about the rod and uh, this rod, uh, eating up all the other rods, you remember the, the spurious authorities, and then you can look in verse 19 of chapter seven where the Lord spoke to Moses say to Aaron take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters over their streams and you know the power to dry everything up to turn it all into a different state so that death comes and there's a, it's a, it's quite amazing when you go on through and, of course, the famous one is when uh, Moses stretched out the rod over the Red Sea, you remember. And this he did. And lo and behold, hallelujah, the sea opened and they went across. And it's, it's a tremendous thing. And, you know, in all these things, the Lord is seeking to teach his Old Testament people, and as you make your way through, of course, you get to chapter 17, and when you get there, you, you, you get this way that the Lord has been trying to show them, he's been trying to deliver them from their rebellion. He's been trying to do things with them. So that in the 16th chapter, you read the story of their complaining spirit. And then you come to the wonderful provision of God with the manna, giving them bread. And I really sort of enjoy this very, very much, just the way that the Lord patiently works with them, will they listen to me? Will they trust me? Will they submit to my authority? Will they submit to my ways? Uh, will they let me supply to them? And, uh, you know, it, 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 they seem to be so argumentative, because God's not coming up with the goods they want. And yet God does this wonderful thing with the manna. Uh, what is it this, the, the, this stuff that God supplied so quietly and secretly six days a week and it descended upon the ground and so they had to bow their heads. They had to go down on their knees. And they had to gather this mysterious, mysterious substance that tasted uh, wafers with honey. Very beautiful when you think of it. Will they learn? Will they learn? that I will supply, let them get down on their knees, let them put it in their vessels as much as they want. And there it is. And so God teaches them that lesson. And, you know, as you as you go on, you probably know that before the manna came, they were questioning about water earlier, that's the end of chapter 15. And here they are, the, the basic substance of life, where does it come from? Uh, we need water, we need food. And at the end of chapter 15, you find that Moses brought Israel, this is verse 22, from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness and they went three days in the wilderness. Now you're beginning to get a clue. Three days in the wilderness. And they found no water. Then they came to Mara, And they could not drink the waters of Mara um, for they were bitter and the people complained. There, there it is again this constant repetition. They complained against Moses and against God actually. What shall we drink? So he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he cursed it into the waters when he cast that tree. Now, I don't know. Uh, was it a whole tree? Or was it a branch, a, a stocky branch of the tree that he cast in? We're not told, but it was wood. And it was a tree. And it resembled the rod. And he threw it in the tree. And uh, obedience to God takes the bitterness out of your circumstances. Important that you grasp that. Coming to the way of the wood. You say, what do you mean, Bernard? Coming to the way of the crucified life. Coming out of all your arguments and all of your, and my, uh, you know, oh Lord, you're this, you're that, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me that, and so on, but coming to the life of the crucified. And that immediately turns the waters bitter into waters sweet. That's the truth. That's the truth. It is the unchangeable truth. And of course, when you take the serpent by the tail in obedience to God it brings authority into your life so you've got these things and then of course God's still seeking to teach them lessons they come through to chapter 17 and it's about water again and all the congregation of the children of Israel, verse one, chapter 17, set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. According, now that was the name of a place, but of course it's, it's a name, isn't it? But I mean, it's quite apt for us. You've got to set out from your journey, on your journey from the wilderness of sin. So I'm using sin now, not as a proper name, but more as the word that's to do with what is displeasing in the sight of God, sin, and, and of course those who you probably remember that disobedient fellow um, who killed his brother, Abel, you remember that man, and you of course recall that, uh, oh dear. What was his name? Cain. And you recall what, uh, where he went, he went to the place that was called Nod, disobedient to God and the word Nod means wandering. He went into the place of wandering through the rest of his life and in the wandering state built his city and named it after his son. And, and it's an amazing, there are so many lessons in, in Genesis and Exodus and the events surrounding this. And here it is, they're in this, this place, the wilderness, and they, they went according to the commandment of the Lord, and the Lord led them into this wilderness, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now you understand there's nothing callous in God's leadings. You understand that. I mean, one of the things that I truly believe that the Lord has been to a degree displeased with the churches over the last 30 or 40 years. And I myself believe that COVID is one of God's gifts to disrupt the patterns of behavior that have gotten into the habits of thought and the habits of behavior in the churches, and some have been very displeased with God. For disrupting, you know, there are missionary leaders who've become displeased with God and uh, because the mission programs have been broken up and so on. It's almost as though it's led, perhaps you feel that, into a wilderness where shall i a personal wilderness where you've been isolated and alone and fellowship when you can't sing with the crowd and have loud meetings and all the rest of it and you get displeased with god but god only leads in to such a state that he should disclose treasures treasures good things that he should show you his will and his way and his heart. And so here they are, gone. I mean, there are churches that are divided. I think of, I had an email this morning from uh, a, a leader who occasionally writes to me in a rather unusual way, because he's quite an unusual man. And, uh, you know, he's sort of saying that he's beginning to discover that in his church there is, they've never been united. Well, the first time I ever went there, I could see that, that, uh, you know, the, this one thought this way, that one thought the other, and that their unity to a degree wasn't a unity in God so much as a, a unity in ideas in ideology, not in the life of God. Well, he's beginning to discover it. Now that's a great discovery to begin to make when you begin to discover it under the leading of the Lord, because he wants to show you exactly that in which unity really exists, where it comes from. And unity, you know, is, is mighty. And I'll tell you this, that uh, you're better off to have two people or three who are agreed together in one spirit and one mind and one heart, offering a simple short prayer about a matter than to have 300 who are sieving everything through their personal agendas in their prayer meeting. And uh, to have two or three, it shall be done of God for them in heaven. And so the Lord is leading the church of today into a, a, a wilderness really, in some ways through the events that are happening. And the people begin, we're all the same, we begin to contend with God. We begin to contend with his representatives. That's what they did in verse 2. They said to Moses, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you test, tempt the Lord? and the Moses and the people thirsted there, verse three for water and the people complained against Moses and why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children with livestock and our livestock with thirst you know the discontented heart soon exaggerates its circumstances you brought us out to kill us you know typical exaggeration isn't it? You know, typical misinterpretation of everything. When your heart is disillusioned, dissatisfied, everything becomes distorted in your view. And uh, you exaggerate everything, you know, God's forgotten us, people have forgotten us, nobody cares. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now notice that first the elders, the leaders, the pastors, You've got to come first, and you've got to get close, and you've got to learn God's ways, and you've got to accept them. Uh, you've got to see how it's done, what God is about. And herein lies one of the problems that elders and leaders, whether you call them pastors or cardinals or bishops or this, that, and the other, you know, Jesus is our Moses, and he wants to lead you elders to the rock. You pastors, he wants to lead you to the rock, who is, of course, God. He wants to lead you there, and he wants to show you how he works. And it's wonderful, really. And so we read that uh, he, he took some of the elders, also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Mesa, uh, which you know means contention. It's the place of contention where they've been struggling, fighting, and arguing. And they called it Massa. And then the other name he gave it was Meribah, which is to do with testing. That word is to, here's a great testing where the people test God and God's testing the people. And the people are discovering something of their contentious argumentative hearts. But God struck the rock. The, the, the blessed, blessed Moses took the rod and at the command of God, he struck the rock. I mean, you realize what an insane business this is, you know, let's say, naturally speaking, some joker, some occult character with his twigs, a water diviner. Moving by occult powers, walks by and says, Oh, well, there's a rock there, and these little sticks move by demonic power. Oh, there's water down under there. Well, they wouldn't take a wooden rod to strike it whatever they're doing, they'd want to get a jackhammer, a pneumatic hammer, wouldn't they? They'd want to get stick of dynamite, drill a hole, open up the rivers in the dark places. But Moses just struck the rock. Now, you understand, every one of you, what we're talking about? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus and Calvary. We're talking about the stupidity of the cross, the apparent stupidity of this blessed man giving his life that the churchmen of the day thought he was mad your Peter was disappointed, your John was disappointed, your churchmen of the day didn't know though they were elders. They understood later they were elders, you could say, apostle elders, and uh, the Lord Jesus led them to that hedge shaped place called Golgotha, that skull shaped place. And isn't it wonderful? how our Lord Jesus sacrificed himself and gave himself to his father first. He did not do it all for you or did it all for me first. That's important. He did it for his father first, amen that God his Father should be justified. I throw, if I throw this out for you pastors and uh, teachers, just to mention to you, the Book of Romans is not primarily about God justifying you. It's about God becoming justified through his Son. Not justified from sin, but justified in his nature and his being, before angels, before men, God being justified, he truly is God. Anyway, here we are at Jesus, and you, you will all know how that Calvary event, that Calvary thing concludes. Uh, it concludes with the piercing and it concludes with the spear in his side and John saw. So if I slip over into chapter 20 of John's gospel and uh, there's, there's hidden things in this little, little anecdote that John who penetrated things through things more quickly than the rest. Uh, it's chapter 19 of John. And we read this. Jesus said it's finished in verse tw- 30. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit to the father. And then it says the breaking of the legs of the other thieves. Verse 33, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers. He was already dead. You, you understand that uh, Jesus wasn't killed. Having won the victory at Calvary, now he consigned his spirit to the father, not to the devil, not to hell, but he cons- consigned his life to his father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He knew the victory was won. The teeth had been drawn from the serpent. He knew that by his dying he had taken the serpent by the tail. Amen. And this was going to become his organ of power. Amen. It's going to be the sign of his power and his authority because he took authority there. And we read this, of course, that when the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, immediately blood and water came out and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. Wonderful, really. John began to get a glimpse of understanding when he saw this taking place because you know he's the apostle of love and love always gets there first before anything else and he he began to see the mystery he he was a Jew you know it's if I was to so he knew do you know Zechariah 13 he knew Zechariah 13. He may not have known it was called Zechariah 13, but he knew the prophet Zechariah. And he knew that, for instance, Isaiah had talked about rivers in the desert and <laughs> waters here. And so, I mean, but he knew Zechariah 13. So you s- swing over to your Old Testament, and you look at Zechariah 13, right toward the end of your Old Testament, and you go there, lovely chapter, and uh, you know there's, there's going to be the spirit of grace poured out, chapter 12, verse 10, the time's coming. When the spirit of grace and supplication is going to come in Israel first in Judah first, uh, they will look on me whom they've pierced everyone got it uh, chapter 12 of Zechariah verse 10 yeah wonderful and then, of course, it's all going to come to this verse one of chapter 13 in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For sin and uncleanness, it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. Do you see the connection? I'm just trying to help you. Are you seeing the connection here in that day when the spirit of grace and supplication is poured out? When they begin to look on him whom their peace pierced, there shall be a fountain open for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And there they were. Jerusalem was packed with people who were up for the feast. Hallelujah. And the Lord Jesus, you know, the cross, the rock, you know, the, the fountain became opened. You get the first trickle of it in physical eyes there on Golgotha's Hill. And then you get the flood of it from heaven. 50 days later, thereabouts on the day of Pentecost where the fountain is opened. It's opened. It comes from heaven. It's the Holy Ghost poured out on the day of Pentecost. Isn't it wonderful? The, 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 the fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness. It's a mighty thing. Jesus has gone up there, to be with his father and has sat down and has taken up his authority. And praise <laughs> God, his, the fountain has been opened, his side was opened, the heart of God was opened, the rock, God the rock was smitten and opened at calvary now the rivers could come in the wilderness now the springs that could deal with sin and uncleanness does everybody understand that no sacrifice in the old testament ever dealt with sin and uncleanness mm-hmm. do you understand that all the washings that were done, uh, the priests washing their hands in the labor of washing. None of it dealt with sin and uncleanness in the roots of the worshipers being. None of it, it just covered it. But here's the blessed thing that the Lord Jesus now, Oh, Father, you're the rock, it's all in your will, Calvary, the rod, I've taken it, and behold, you are open, and I am opened, and the Spirit is now free to be poured out for sin and uncleanness, for the time when the idols will be cut off out of the land. You know, we had an interesting meeting this morning where we were, and uh, instead of a sermon, uh, there was, we all sat around and they brought out a kind of board table and three of the people sat uh, behind the table with their Bibles open and they were questioned like they were a panel. What does baptism mean? Water baptism, that was the subject, trying to bring out some lessons about water baptism, because many of the people that are gathering with us are, are unclear about these sorts of things. And it was a good format, the way it worked. And the leader asked, asked some very wise questions. And these three people, the kind of mock panel, answered these questions, how old were you when you were baptized, what did it mean to you, where were you baptized, uh, and all this kind of thing, and what did it mean, and so on and so on, and the questions came out, and they were answered, and other people asked some questions, and coming back into my mind, uh, some of you may dimly remember him. Nick uh, from a Sikh background in Latter Rain, many a year ago, now a Lutheran pastor in Singapore, but Nick was a Sikh and um, you know, he came back to my mind and I remembered what it meant to him. And the thing is, it wasn't believing the right things. It, it wasn't believing the Bible. It, it was the blessedness that he was coming under the blessed, lovely lordship of Jesus. And he wanted to obey him. And it cost him a lot, as some of you who knew him will remember. It cost him a great deal. And in my mind, moved to, uh, to Khartoum, Sudan. And I was preaching there, and a young man, about 18 years old, a Hindu by background, never had eaten meat. And uh, as the preaching went on, uh, he came to the point where Jesus had won his heart. Jesus had gripped his heart. It wasn't that he believed all the right things. It was Jesus, the person of Jesus. And Jesus kind of smote him in his heart and he wanted to be baptized. And we baptized him in the river Nile. And uh, he was baptized. And you know, the, the first thing he did was go out and eat meat. It's almost as though he publicly wanted to reject his former allegiances you understand what i'm saying, and this is so wonderful the person of the Lord Jesus filled his vision. And I know that's why I was baptized. It, it wasn't that, oh, the Bible says, or it wasn't that, you know, it was Jesus. It wasn't that I believed it this way or that. But somehow the person of Jesus was pouring out to me. And I wanted to demonstrate that I was under his lordship. Am I making sense when I say this, you see? Because this is the idols go, the there's this fountain, I'll cut off the names of the idols and to some people the Bible is an idol, might sound a terrible thing to say. But the Bible or the doctrine can become an idol. And when this water flows, when the vital life of the Spirit pours out through Jesus from the Father's heart into your heart, it is a fountain opened for sin, for uncleanness, and to remove the idols from the heart. Amen amen and I will cause the unclean and the false prophets to depart from the land and so it is now you see this is the thing God said to Moses make sure you take the elders to see this make sure you take them to see this that the rock must be smitten by the rod, the crucified life is the life through whom the water flows. The person that's crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You see, because you know that the Lord Jesus said to you and me, didn't he, through that uh, chapter 7 of John, out of your innermost parts, shall flow rivers of living water. Am I right? It's a, it's a wonderful verse. It's a wonderful verse. But it's not for you unless you're crucified. Mm-hmm. Forget it. You know, if you're clinging to your pride, if I'm clinging to my name, you know, I've got to be smitten by, by the life of that cross. Doesn't it sound strange? the life of that cross, that crucified life. And this is why I now switch over into the Corinthian letter, the first one, and I look down in chapter one. Now, you can probably connect up in your mind, by the way, why I entitled this morning's session or this afternoon session with the rock and the rod and then I added three words that are biblical words of course that all begin with s you know what was the first one strike the rock and the next one was spare spare and, and how many of you know a, a verse that's nothing to do with um, you know, striking a rock so much, but it's to do with a, a, a father disciplining a son. Mm-hmm. Chapter 13 of Proverbs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it says, he who spares the rod hates his sons. Now, do you just think of the heavenly father and his precious son. You know, this blessed son who is the manifestation of the father's heart, smitten at Calvary. God did not spare his son. You know the rigors of Calvary and I tell you, God so wants the rivers to flow in the wilderness. I tell you, because the USA is a wilderness, even your church, some of the hearts that are there in your church, there are wilderness hearts, you know, they're dry, they're barren, they, they you know, they're scrubby, you know, and there's no water. How's water going to flow out of my bowels? Unless I'm opened up, unless... I uh, come to this Christ life, I, you know, that it seems so foolish, but there you are, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know they had a power problem, you know, they had a power problem in, in the Corinthian church, it's a little bit like the, the power problem that's associated with the name and claim it, name it, claim it movement and the positive thinking movement, they, they are actually more like the Corinthian church, that group of folks, you know, and they think of power in the charismatic teacher and preacher and this, that and the other and and the great music, I tell you, the living water is not going to flow out of, you know, charismatic preachers who, are, who think they're great and got a great auditorium and they've got teeth like a Colbert Gates smile or something like that. You know, nothing to do with that. I'll tell you where the water flows. It flows from the broken vessels, the crucified men, those who've been smitten by the life of the crucified. That's where it comes from. The women are like that. I think of a lady comes to mind, um, you know, who all of you will have heard of, named Elizabeth Elliot. Whatever was God doing, eh, getting her married to a zealous young man named Jim and off they went in their youthful mission zeal to Ecuador and trying to make contact and what was God doing in letting a spear pierce Jim and his companion, Nate Saint, unfinished, dead, their life finished at 28 years old, was it? Gone. Whatever was the Lord doing, widowing this young woman, eh? And yet she didn't complain. She didn't uh, remonstrate with God. She went deep into God and accepted the blows of the Calvary life. Hallelujah. And what did she do? How did the water pour out of her? Books, books that have edified probably millions, radio programs that you can still hear today, the reruns of, speaking around the world, manifesting herself as a woman of God who taught so graciously without being some uh, arrogant woman marching up and down the platform thinking you know that they've got to be a man. Wonderful. This is how the river came out of this woman. Are you understanding me? Or we, we talk about Corrie ten Boom. It's the same. What was God doing? The dying of Betsy, the taking her through the things that she went through and amen and even seeing one of the old guards that had been in the concentration camp and going to him and forgiving him isn't it wonderful the workings of the cross in this dutch woman and you know she went all over the world didn't she and uh, oh the grace of god that came out of the the innermost parts of that woman. And there's no avoiding this, brothers and sisters. There's no avoiding it. Only I've got to change things, haven't I? Because here in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, you notice how Paul, trying to correct the Corinthians, who've got the wrong idea about power and the wrong idea about wisdom. You know, he says, we, verse 23, preach Christ crucified. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom god don't you just love it the power of god is related to that christ crucified not the christ enthroned he doesn't figure there first it's the christ crucified and are you surprised that in your dna spiritually and in the circumstances of your life in his he doesn't want to spare the rod in your life. He wants to, he doesn't want to spare the rod. He wants to so identify you in fellowship with the Lord Jesus that he takes you deeper and deeper so that you become truly his kin his son one of his sons and you become thrilled because you almost see the cross life coming and you're as you see it coming something else you got to lay your life down to gladly <laughs> in his will you see it coming and you look the other side of it because you know there's joy coming in the morning you know there's going to be releasing in the morning, there's going to be out of it all life from the dead, That it's, it's not for us to end up and, you know, I just think of this, you know, to me, it's wonderful because this is where he can bring you, where you almost where, where some sort of tragedy, unexpected happens and, and, uh, you know, you're not being a cynic and you're not being stupid. You just kind of know in the deeps of you, Lord, what good you're going to bring out of this. This. what good because you're going to bring good out of this because somehow it's the rods you know it's the the water's going to come out somehow the water's going to come out don't know how but life's going to come good's going to come isn't this wonderful it's the power of god you see christ and him crucified it's the power of God. Now I must swing back ever so quick to the Old Testament, because you know that dear, they faced. Well, let's let's look at another scripture in chapter ten, all right, of one Corinthians. While we're up there in the New Testament, and let's look at this strange, mysterious um, thing that Paul says. Bernard, at the beginning of this, talking all about the material and physical and the spiritual and all that. Well, here's some verses. Chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all at the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And this is it for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. I tell you that phrase, they drank of that spiritual rock but the phrase that followed them you know, that followed them. Isn't that uncanny? Isn't that strange? What, you know, they made camp in another place and uh, there was the rock. <laughs> you know, they got to another place and there was the rock. Yes, always he was there. But the problem was they, they didn't always drink of him. They, they didn't always drink of him. There, there was the water all the time. And the fountain head of the water was there all the time. All the time. All the time. It didn't need striking again. It, it didn't need it. It didn't need it. There only needed to be one Calvary, one striking. That opened up. The waters have ever since... You know, I've had the privilege just once in the last five or six years of speaking a little bit to a group of about 40 men, many of them leaders, about the outpourings of God's spirit. It's rare that I ever talk about it. And, uh, you know, it's such a thrill to realize there can be rivers in the desert, in the 21st century in the midst of the COVID, whatever you want to call it, if you and I will get off all of our particulars and embrace the life that's the crucified life and speak to our blessed rock and be ready for the cross life to be worked in us more and us, our hearts to be opened, there shall be rivers coming forth. There shall be waters in dry places. There, there shall be, even in the midst of this, because the rock is here, that's the thing I know. The rock is here even on this Zoom. He follows us. You know, he's, he's here all the time. He's like the sun in the heavens. You know, the clouds only obscure him. The sun is there all the time, isn't it, Sun, sun? It's still there, and we let clouds to obscure him. You, you know what i'm saying don't you but the rock followed them and there they were so i rush back looking at the clock to exit to numbers 20 this time and find them you know seem to be unchanged and i have to look at myself and say well lord am i learning this personally well, here it is, you know, chapter 20, Numbers, and uh, there they are, back into the wilderness of Zin. You notice that? They're back there. And uh, they stay there. They're on the edge of the land of promise, and there's no water for the congregation. Of course there was water for the congregation. It was there. The rock was following them, but they'd forgotten about the rock. You know, they, they just got dull about it all. And You know, many of them had been born in the, in the interim period. And so maybe their forefathers hadn't told them of the way. And they contended with Moses. They're all back again, verse three. If only we died when our brethren died before the Lord why have you there's the exaggeration again there's the misery why have you brought up this assembly of the lord into this wilderness and that we and our animals should die here and why have you brought made us to come up out of the egypt you know i don't know how many of us in the last 12 14 15 months have asked the question why <laughs> you know, why, why, why is the Lord, why, 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 there it is, and uh, why have you made us come out of Egypt, brought us to this evil place, it's not a place of grain, or figs, or vines, or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink, and it's there all the time, the rock is there, and the, and the rock is it's got the water in it. He's he's ever, you know, you can be a watered soul all the time. You can be a watered garden, I tell you, in the midst of the wilderness of your circumstances. Hazel's been reading a book recently that or rereading from many a year mm-hmm. ago by Jeffrey Bull called God Holds the Key. And he was in a Chinese prison in Tibet for 12 or two years in solit three Hazel says solitary confinement, but he was like a watered garden there because he knew the rock was there and you only take the rock God says to Moses verse seven, take it verse eight, your brother and Aaron gather the congregation together speak to the rock before their eyes that's all you need to do <laughs> you know you don't have to have another calvary the cal- there's one calvary's enough one calvary's enough mm-hmm. you know you you have to embrace that christ crucified afresh right now Amen, and speak to him, oh Lord, wash me, let your waters so speak to the rock, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water, I think of churches, you know, churches are dry spiritually, they may have a lot of mechanisms, some of them, you know, and uh, uh, paraphernalia uh, but you know this this water that refreshes the heart that washes your mind that cleanses you that deals with idols that you've allowed to accumulate deep down you know this this fresh water you know and dear dear you know even water for the animals I don't know what you think of that? There's a bit of you that's animal. And there's a bit of me that's animal. And there's my <laughs> there's my body that reminds me I'm a bit of an animal. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I hope I haven't got horns. But um, you know, <laughs> you know, so that there's even something for your body. You know, um, we left the meeting earlier this morning to make sure we got home because of traffic, and. Uh, you know, a couple followed us out to the car, and mm-hmm. the brother said, uh, and his wife, you know, they said, Can we just hold you up for two minutes? You've got to go, but will you just pray for my body? He's, I guess, in his 70s for sure, and he's feeling very ill. And, you know, we prayed together. And I know the Lord heard us because the Lord, every atom of that man's body, belongs to jesus every atom not one atom of that man's body belongs to the devil not one atom of your body and we prayed like that for him and it was a privilege just to take two minutes there i'm sitting in the driver's seat and he's standing at the door and we prayed and oh lord because the water's for the that came out of the rock was for the animals too, you understand? And if you think of your own physical body as part of the animal, you can be renewed, not only in the spirit of your mind, but refreshed in your body and refreshed uh, you know, and that refreshing may go through your body in such a way as to bring about a, a cleansing from a disease that may have gotten in there or an infection that you may have breathed in from a neighbor, you know, and it's, it's a wonderful, by the way, don't you be one of those fools who doesn't take care of your body properly, you know. Uh, take your vitamins and whatever ones up, uh, you know, if you want to know what you should take, or, you know, BB B- B will give you some rundown on stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, just do what you can. But I know that there is water from him because he loves your body. You know, because. You are your body as well as your spirit and your soul. He loves you. And he loves the totality of you. And dear Moses is irritated, isn't he? And he takes the rod and he hits the rock again. And oh, he's rebuked for it. And all the blessing that could have been his is delayed for him because he had not obeyed. You only have to speak to it, Moses. You only have to speak. I'll give forth my water, you know, and I come to this and, you know, when I come to the prayer meetings that we have, uh, when I come to, to the church, and know some of you know, in different countries and Malaysia, when I come to Kingdom Life and speak or down there in Maranatha or you know, the different places I, I get up with this consciousness that he wants out of my belly to flow rivers of living water into this place and that those who want can drink. Amen. And sometimes I confess I'm so surprised when people don't open their mouths and rush to the waters, you know, of the words. Sometimes I'm so surprised and sometimes I'm so thrilled where I see a young person run and kneel down. I think of it a couple of Sundays ago, where the, the actual leader of the church was the first one down on his knees on the floorboards. And it's just thrilling to see him down there. And I know that the waters will flow in that place. I know they will. And they'll flow through him, you see and but don't spare the rod and don't spare yourself go on with god let it let it happen in your life don't evade and evade and evade the disciplines of the lord don't run away from him meet him there at calvary let you know embrace the rejections and the you know, what? some of us have faced them. Maybe we've deserved the rejections and deserved we've been this or that or the other. But as you just out of your innermost parts shall flow rivers of living water. Now the rock follows you. You only have to speak to him. You only have to speak to him. Speak to the rock and he will give forth water for you and wherever you are, and he will water your cell. That's what Jeffrey Bill, Bull found out. God watered his cell. Mm-hmm. That lady, Corrie, God watered her heart and brought forgiveness and washing and cleansing. That lady, I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? Elizabeth Elliot, God watered her heart and what a blessing she became. You know, and, and there are so many people like this, aren't there, that we have touched and known. And so there I, because of time I end, but um, amen, amen, amen. We don't have to spite smite the rock now, it's been smitten but we run the risk of sparing the rod, <coughs> don't spare. And if I could just finish with one last scripture, and it's to be found in, back in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, and it's in chapter six, and it's the words of a man who was a crucified man, who loved the people, the church, it's the sixth chapter, and it's Paul writing. Mm-hmm. And he's writing to Christians who had shut their bowels up. He, they'd shut their compassions up. They'd shut down. They'd shut down. And in the sixth chapter, verse 11, 2 Corinthians, Here's Paul's testimony and there's a we there, we, we have spoken openly to you. Actually in the Greek it says our mouth is open. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us but you're restricted by your own affections. Your heart has closed you down. You know, here we are, you know, God give us more and more ministers and people whose hearts are wide open, our mouth is wide open, you know so that we are like the rock aren't we a rock and it's smitten we've gone to calvary and and uh, people speak to us and they might rebuke us and out of our innermost parts comes a river of blessing bless you brother bless you bless you bless you so here we are that's me done today and uh, I hope that somehow these things come with a measure of divine light yes. and that they will win from your heart a profound agreement uh, so that you will say to him yes Lord uh, yes Lord and you will open yes. your hearts and you'll speak to the rock and amen speak to him he's he's everywhere he's everywhere he's in the hospital he's in the wherever you go let nothing close you down amen thank you BB. Amen.
0: thank you brother bernard